Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Those are words of a poem written by Emma Lazarus in 1883, and they are attached to the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor, have welcomed so many uh, hundreds of thousands of persons who have come to this country seeking, seeking freedom and seeking uh, a new beginning. Well, today on the Beeson Podcast, we're talking about the question of immigration, and what we as Christians in particular need to think about that and what the Bible has to say about that. Our guest is Dr. M. Daniel Carroll. Uh, He teaches at Denver Seminary in the area of Old Testament. He's written a wonderful book, Christians at the Border, Immigration, the Church, and the Bible. Danny, welcome to Beeson and to our podcast. Well, it's great to be here, and thanks for inviting me. First question I want to ask is, why are you interested in this subject? Well, there's really a personal reason and then a biblical reason. The personal reason is that I'm half Guatemalan. If you were to look at the book, you would see that uh, it's uh, M. Daniel Carroll R. And people always say, uh, what is the R? Well, in Latin America, you have two surnames. Your second surname is your mother's maiden name, which is Rodas. Uh, you can write it out or put it as an initial, and I've put it as an initial. That's why sometimes in this country you'll see some Hispanics hyphenate it mm-hmm. so that uh, they can put both there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, I am half Guatemalan, was raised bilingual, bicultural, spent a lot of time there growing up, and then uh, I worked there for about 15 years teaching at a seminary before coming back to this country. And um, it, what hit me really was two things. One, uh, seeing... Latins, Hispanics, um, kind of the underside um, of the workforce and some of the prejudice and some of the attitudes, uh, which I found a bit disturbing. Even with Christians, uh, there wasn't really much of a Christian conversation about the topic. And then when I started getting into the Bible, the Bible was full of all kinds of stories and laws uh, directed toward the one from the outside. So uh, one was this personal side, and one was the biblical side that got me into the topic. Now, you mentioned that you're bicultural. Uh, tell me a little bit about your father and mother and your growing up. Uh, my father was an American uh, from Irish descent. Uh, Carol, of course, is a good Irish name. Um, and my mother uh, from Guatemala. They met uh, in New Orleans after the war and got married in Guatemala and then moved back. But my mother uh, tells us we learned Spanish first, and um, but I don't know, I, I, I couldn't remember that far back, but we were always speaking both languages, and every summer we would go to Guatemala, not just for two or three weeks, we would go for the full summer. My parents would, we normally would drive uh, to Guatemala, we were in Houston, so it would be one day to the border and then three days across Mexico, and then a fourth day up into, into Guatemala. And uh, we would spend the summers there with my family in uh, different parts of the country, and we got to know the country and the, and the language, and they put us in school. Um, at the time, that wasn't so much fun because y- you kind of went to school all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but looking back, it was good because of the language and the culture, and uh, it solidified all those things um, and gave us a greater feel uh, for Guatemalan life and culture. 
Mm-hmm. Now, you teach at Denver Seminary, but for a number of years you taught in Guatemala itself. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that seminary and what its mission is. There's an interdenominational seminary in Guatemala City, El Seminario Teológico Centroamericano, the uh, Central American Theological Seminary. Um, and if you put all their programs together, there's over a thousand students uh, from all over the Americas. So I would have students from 20 different countries in my classes. Um, and training for Christian ministry of all types and uh, with the nascent uh, missionary movement coming out of Latin America, there's also some mission training uh, going on at the seminary. Um, And because of its multinational uh, student body and faculty, it it really has uh, quite an impact south of the border and now worldwide as, as Latins go all over the world now. Now let's talk a little bit about the uh, biblical basis of your uh, thesis in this book, Christians at the Border. Uh, You're an Old Testament scholar by training. I think you did a Ph.D. in in Great Britain at Sheffield Mm -hmm. and had prior work at Dallas Theological Seminary in this area. Uh, Why in particular is the Old Testament important? for Christians as we think about this issue of immigration today? Well, what you find in the Old Testament is that it's full of stories about people on the move. Even the father of our faith, Abraham, of course, leaves his original home and goes hundreds of miles uh, to the promised land. And once he's there, he never really settles down. And he doesn't own any property until he buys a place to bury his wife. And so what you find is that there's all these different kinds of stories of movement, some of it in the case of uh, Abraham looking for food, um, but one can talk about, let's say, Daniel, who was forced to move. So you have, you have the stories, the stories that if we, we reread them from an immigrant point of view, we, we'll see all kinds of new things. Uh, and I can give you some examples later on if you'd like. Uh, and then the laws. Uh, because in this country we have to get to legislation. I mean, we can talk about the the moral issue, but we have to, at the end of the day, get to legislation. And so that was my interest in Old Testament law. You see, can the Old Testament law somehow give us some kind of orientation to our legislation. So those were kind of the things that got me going into the Old Testament. And I want to come back to the sort of contemporary social, political, economic issues that are certainly uh, deeply interrelated with this question. Uh, What would be your exegesis of this verse from Leviticus, Leviticus 19.34, where we read, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Well, it's interesting. If you go earlier in that chapter is where you find the verse, love your neighbors yourself. And then you come to this verse, and it specifies the neighbor, in this case, as the, as the one from the outside. And, of course, when Jesus picks this up in Luke 10, it's with a Samaritan, you see. And so the outsider that nobody wants becomes the example uh, that he'll turn to. The other piece that's interesting about uh, this, which is hard for people to love someone from outside because of language, culture, whatever, is the memory of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tell people, uh, we have immigrant memories in this country, but they tend to be food. <laughs> you know, my Aunt Martha has the Austrian recipe for strudel that we've kept in the family for generations, you see. Uh, and what you're hearing is an immigrant memory, but it's been reduced to food or 
something special you do on Christmas. You know, you have certain kinds of stockings because you came from Germany or something. But what you find that the immigrant memory that we have forgotten, which the Bible will not let them forget, is the socio-political and economic memory. Mm. So you were taken advantage of uh, for labor, mm. and that's what you should never forget. Um, the food is part of their culture, as you know, the dietary laws, but it's the socio-cultural and political memory that they should not forget which makes sense if you look around us now that the issues we need to grapple with are those very issues, and we need to go back to our memories. Well, let's go to the New Testament. You've already alluded to some of the things Jesus said. Uh, what does the New Testament in particular say to us when we look at it with this question of immigration in mind? Well, if you look at Jesus, he won't deal with the topic directly. Um, what you see him, though, is dealing with people who are different, the Samaritans. I mean, I, I tell people when I, when I talk on this subject, if we want to use this, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, what if we had the parable of the Good Mexican? You see, how would people respond? Uh, the other part with Jesus, um, and, and let me see if I can explain this. This has just recently been kind of bouncing in my head, is his attitude toward those who disagree. Um, because part of this whole issue is not only the truth about the topic, but how we engage the topic. And um, and this is where I think it's important for Christians to take their, their cue from Jesus. You know, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And, and that's so true on this debate. People don't really know what they're talking about, but they get very angry. And the other part, if we were to move through the epistles, of course, is that we all are sojourners um, and have citizenship in another country. Uh, and so we should hold this citizenship more lightly than we do, perhaps. So those were kind of kind of broad mm-hmm. strokes out of the New Testament. Now, uh, you developed the theme of pilgrimage, too, which is, of course, uh, deeply rooted in both Old and New Testament. Uh, we are ourselves called to a life of pilgrimage. Jesus himself was a refugee. Mm-hmm. So what does this paradigm of the fact that w- here we have no continuing city, but we look for one to come, how does that relate to a Christianity such as ours in North America that tends to be, on the whole, quite comfortable with its setting and its environment and maybe in danger of losing this sense of being on the edge, of being on journey, of being a pilgrim? I tell my students at the seminary um, that we we tend to forget that we are strangers in a strange land. We kind of like this place, and it's lost its strangeness. Uh, and so we end up fighting to keep it as it is. And it, it's not strange anymore. It's the very thing we fight for. And I think that's that's problematic um, for the very reasons that you're alluding to, that, that we need to hold this very lightly. And as Christians, even to be a leader in the church, we are supposed to be hospitable. And so uh, we need to open our minds and open our, our hearts uh, to those from the outside. I mean, this is... A part of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, part of the issue, isn't it, that you know we we have, uh, I think, not so much deliberately, intentionally, in one decision, but by the way we live and fail to live, uh, we've allowed allegiances such as culture, race, status, national identity, whatever it is, to eclipse the prior identity that we have in Jesus. You know, Paul talks about we're citizens of two worlds. We do have commitments here and obligations here, but we also remember that we belong to another world, another culture, another reality. And it seems to me this whole question of immigration and the stranger and the sojourner raises that in very important ways. And what you'll see is um, 
If you have conversations with people that w- would want to view the United States uh, as a, a Christian country, there, there you see the blending. And one way you see it working itself out is the focus on protecting the border. You see, and so that 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 ideology um, begins to define where you start the conversation. And if you start the conversation at the border instead of with people, mm. uh, it, it's a very different kind of conversation. It's about protecting. It's about who's in, who's out. It's about control instead of about human flourishing. Let's talk about this image of the border. That's the title of your book, Christians at the Border. And you say in the book that this word border is used in a a double sense in a way. Talk about that. Well, uh, there's the one border that is the physical uh, border with Mexico to the south. And so everyone needs to make a decision about that border. What's it like? What's it for? How do we treat people coming across? There's the, the legal border. But there's another border that Christians have to respond to, and that is uh, the border of of faith, where if we become aware of all that the Bible has to say about this, we have a choice. Do we cross the line and embrace that with all the implications they might have for our legislation, for our lifestyles, for our views, or do we hang back and, and not cross that border? And so I Hopefully, this is what the book was trying to do, is, was to get people to be ready and willing to cross the border and embrace what God has to say. Um, if we profess to be Christians, we, I would hope that's what we would be doing. Now, you make another distinction in your book. I think that would be very helpful to hear a little explanation. You talk about the term undocumented as opposed to illegal. Illegal aliens is a term that we sometimes hear used with reference to immigrants, but uh, you suggest undocumented is a better worker, uh, resident is a better way of talking about it. Well, so much of, of hot political topics are the language games. If you can kind of label things, you can kind of direct the conversation. And sometimes this conversation is very heated, so we'll use things like uh, invasion, you know, this mass horde of people, uh, this kind of uh, tidal wave. Uh, Those are already pejorative terms. Um, And with illegal alien, what it can project really are two things. On the one hand, that these are a bunch of criminal-type people when what you're looking at are people, the only thing that they don't have are some documents. That's a total mess if you understand the immigration system in this country anyway. Um, So they're not criminals, they're undocumented. Uh, The women, the children, trying to get to school and just do their jobs. Um, And I've actually heard a sermon uh, by an Hispanic pastor about make sure you go the speed limit, you see, so they don't stop you. I mean, they're trying very hard to be very legal, you see, on these (laughs) things. Uh, and the other one, uh, alien, uh, um, alien means something totally different. I mean, something that's not us. and uh, Something from outer space. Something from outer space. <laughs> you see, we have these alien movies. And so mm-hmm. when you say illegal alien, there's kind of this pejorative, you know, they're, they're criminal types, they're out here to get us, and then they're so different, they're aliens, you see. And, and when does an alien become a normal person? Is there kind of one day they wake up and boom, they're, they're normal? Well, you know, when do you quit being an alien? Yeah. Now, you point out also that so many of these uh, undocumented workers who are in our country are actually believers in Jesus Christ. They're, they're our fellow Christians. By the millions. Um, and there's a whole under... 
or, 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 or subculture um, of Hispanic, and this would be true of other uh, races as well, of, uh, of believers. I mean, there are Hispanic um, Christian magazines, there's Hispanic uh, publishing houses, there's Hispanic Christian uh, music in Denver has two 24-hour Hispanic Christian radio stations. Mm. Um, you have speakers that if you you know say a name, they would all know who this person is, and this person does family life conferences, and this is the youth guy, and there's youth, youth organizations uh, that are international as well as national. There's a whole subculture of millions and millions of, uh, of Hispanic believers, there is an organization that claims to represent uh, over 25,000 Hispanic churches in this country. Yeah. Now, that Hispanic Christian grouping would be largely divided into Roman Catholic and evangelical slash Pentecostal or something else? Well, the the statistics that I've seen is that about 65% of the Hispanics that claim some kind of faith would be Catholic, and uh, 30 to 35% would be evangelical, of which most, let's say 75%, like in Latin America, would be Pentecostal. This is, of course, a tremendous hot-button issue in our culture right now, politically, in terms of uh, the society in which we live, what are we going to do about immigration, all kinds of proposals have been set forth. Um, How can a Christian think about this issue? Uh, both in terms of our commitment to our country, our family, our concern, and also our Christian concern about our brothers and sisters who are coming in large numbers, both documented and undocumented, to this country. Well, that's 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 the uh, that's the big question, uh, and that was the purpose of the book to get conversation going. Um, because when you talk about this, it's not an overnight kind of idea, and I tell people. These are not bullet point conversations. Uh, these are conversations that are complex. If you want to talk about the statistics, the economy, and th- that's a very complicated discussion, or the history of immigration, it's a very complicated discussion, um, or the Bible itself. And if you're trying to move people to have different feelings about it, that's going to take some time. Uh, but if you see them, see that, or, or help them see that it's grounded in the Word of God, then they have to respond to that. Now, it may take time. And when I speak to um, churches and other groups, I get, you know, oh, I never knew that was there. Wow, I, there's so much of that there. And that's that's the beginning point. The book is designed to get people talking biblically about the issue uh, and trying to set aside their very natural emotions. I mean, it's, it, it is hard when someone is different maybe comes in and, and, and your neighborhood changes. And that's a very, that's fine. I mean, that's normal. Uh, you can actually find in the Bible itself responses to outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of these biblical stories, and I can give you examples, of, where you see people reacting against or at least being open to outsiders. And so the same spectrum of opinions we have today you'll find in the Bible itself, which you'd expect because the people are people. So some of this may be be xenophobia, it may be self-protection, but a lot of people say who want to protect our borders uh, are concerned, they say, about the question of terrorism Mm -hmm. and the fact that a loose, unprotected border allows all kinds of uh, uh, threats to be uh, uh, fomented within our own country. Uh, What would you say about Christians and others that are concerned about uh, the border and terrorism? Well, I would say this. Don't be swayed by the language of the media, because here is what they will say. 
if one is looking for comprehensive immigration reform, the they'll say, so you're saying open borders. Well, no one is actually saying that. Maybe some fringe groups are. But no one involved in comprehensive immigration reform is talking about an open border. Or they'll say, oh, what you want is amnesty. There is no one talking about amnesty, except maybe some fringe groups. Um, everyone is talking about a path to citizenship, you see. So when you talk about immigration reform or, or this, it's not about opening the borders and let the terrorists in. No, it's about organizing it more humanely. We have hundreds of people dying in the desert every year. Um, and immigration control is also a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, there are major multinationals that are uh, bidding to build the wall, the, the drones, the electronics. Uh, many of the detention centers in this country are privately owned, uh, the one in, in where I live is. They are paid by, by the day per head, and uh, it's big business. And so this is a complicated discussion, but don't equate immigration reform with opening the border and no control because no one is having that conversation, though that's the caricature that is being used to, to, to stop the conversation. You know, it seems to me that so much of the discussion, the theological uh, background of those who want to talk about this issue tend to come from the more mainline, Protestant, liberal, progressive, whatever label we use, part of the church, and the more conservative, evangelical, Bible-leaving Christians, uh, if not silent, have been more reactive. Uh, you're kind of challenging that. Uh, what do evangelicals have to bring to this question of immigration? Well, in fact, I just had a this couple of conversations with uh, public radio where I live, and and the woman who was interviewing could not believe that evangelicals are involved in this, and she thought there was some kind of hidden agenda or something behind. But uh, what I tell them, and even this last weekend, uh, I was um, with ecumenical types. Um, we can bring the Bible, uh, and this is what they. Here I am, the evangelical professor. <laughs> And uh, they asked me to come and teach them what the Bible has to say. So we can bring the Bible. And then if they want to talk about Hispanics, um, the overwhelming majority of all Hispanic Christians are evangelicals. And so if they want, if the ecumenical side wants to engage the conversation with Hispanics, they've got to engage evangelicals and Pentecostals because that's what they are. So it's it's becoming a very interesting thing, and I'm seeing a broad theological spectrum of coming together to work on this issue. Now, at Denver Seminary, you've been involved in, I think, what's a very creative and exciting outreach to Hispanic Christians. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, we have a program, a lay-level program, a certificate program, uh, where we teach basic Bible and theology. They get certificates for each class, which is a, once a month on a Saturday morning. Uh, and they'll get a certificate for finishing the series. But uh, it's been developing. We have about seven or eight faculty members for this, but it's all A-level, probably about 175 students uh, going through uh, from many, many churches, and most of them are undocumented. Uh, but they're very fervent about the Bible and fervent about their faith and very involved in the local churches. And this could maybe become a model for some other seminaries that uh, have this sense of mission and passion about sharing the message of Christ with everybody uh, uh, in the community, yeah, serving think, the whole church. Yeah, and I think if we look at them as, at Christians and then you know put the legal issue, which is important, but don't make that the primary issue. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ, and so let's let's begin to reach out to them, and then we can work together toward the legal solutions. But don't let the legal challenge 
prohibit us or stop us from reaching out to our brothers and sisters. I want to ask you to put on your real prophetic lenses, you're an Old Testament person, and look into the future with that understanding of prophecy. Uh, five, ten years from now, where will this question of immigration be in North America? This won't sound very prophetic. The answer <laughs> is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that is sad is uh, both political parties are reticent to take this on because of the political capital they feel that they'll have to spend. That's the problem. And as we move into an election year, which is 2010, um, it may get pushed back into 2011. I have people at the church that I go to, I go to an Hispanic church in Denver, who are hoping for reform because of their own court dates, and they have wife and kids, and they're good, good people and church leaders. And they were hoping for something to happen by the summer of 2010. And now I don't think we may even have any conversation until 2011. So I don't know. I think whatever happens will be a compromise that no one's happy with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to be a messy debate and a lot of mudslinging, sadly. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's where Christians can begin to speak in truth and in love and in wisdom based on the Scriptures. Yeah. Now think about the fact that many of our listeners are pastors or church leaders involved in ministry. Uh, how can we, on this side, uh, as church leaders, uh, deal with this issue? How can we make it a priority as we seek to be faithful to Christ in this time? I think in two ways. One... To see this is an educational process, and that's the purpose of the book. Let people just probe the scriptures. Let the scriptures begin to teach them. And maybe with the postponement, uh, there's time. Mm. Uh, the second thing would be uh, get to know some Hispanic pastors in your community. Some of them may even rent space in the afternoon, for goodness mm-hmm. sake. A lot of, that's where my church meets. It meets in the afternoon of a church. Get to know the Hispanic congregation that meets in your in your building in the afternoons or, or make a concerted effort to do uh, with something with another group that meets somewhere else. Because once people begin to, 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 to get to know immigrants as people, mm-hmm. a lot of the prejudices begin to wash away. And you begin to see they're just like you and me trying to raise their kids and get to work. Um, and they love the Lord. And mm-hmm. so that would be the place to start. Educate and just get to know some. Maybe some that even meet in your building today. Are there joint projects, uh, common concerns that we would share with Hispanic Christians that might bring us together in some kind of alliance or friendship that could issue an action on behalf of the gospel in our culture today? Well, the, the bridge is going to be family. Mm-hmm. They have family problems just like we do. Uh, mm-hmm. They get sick just like we mm-hmm. do. So just some very human concerns would be the place mm-hmm. to begin. Mm-hmm. And then if there may be someone in the congregation who can help them uh, get a car fixed or, or with something medical or at the schools or ESL, that would mm-hmm. be great, you see. All these kinds of ways that churches are doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been talking with uh, Dr. M. Daniel Carroll, R., who is professor of uh, Old Testament at Denver Seminary. He's the author of Christians at the Border, Immigration, the Church, and the Bible. I want to recommend this book to every believer and every listener to this podcast. I think you'll find it enlightening and challenging and something that will stir our own conscience on this matter of immigration in our culture today. Danny, thank you for being with us and sharing this time. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, beesondivinity.com.
Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.